Christ, where he is to be exalted. There is no name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. You see, it comes a time in your life and my life where we need to call upon the name of Jesus to save us, to rescue us from the penalty of our sins. We started the service wonderful, wonderful, and what a wonderful Savior, and oh, to be like thee. And that's what we're wanting to be, not only recognizing the fact that Jesus came to this world 
died on an old rugged cross to save us from our sins, but that once we are saved, we are to be a reflection of Him. By the way, that's what the, the word Christian means. It was first coined, I believe it's in Acts chapter 17, where they were first called Christians at Antioch. It was actually a uh, name of ridicule, if you want to take it that way. However, we would take it as a quilt of honor, a badge of honor, because the word Christian means to be like Christ or to act like Christ. Now, I know in America and around the world, the name Christian has all different kinds of flavors to it. In fact, people that truly haven't even been born again. So as we come to this, our, one of our last, I'm not sure, the time remaining that I have, I, I'd love to have gotten through the message today. We're not sure where we're going to get, but why don't we take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. And if you need the handout, uh, we have a few of them available this morning. And uh, we'll be on the last uh, session on uh, what brings the glory to the Lord and what defeats the glory of the Lord. So that is where we are. It's uh, Roman numeral number three on our handouts. What defeats the glory of the Lord? And again, the definition of the glory of the Lord is to reflect who He is, to be God-like, to respond in the way that God would have us to do that. Now, being born again means that we're in God's family and we, we join the uh, saints of old and the saints of the future uh, and we become one of His children when we are born again. But just like a physical child, a spiritual child needs to grow up. Sometimes our own physical children would bring us uh, a little... Uh, Discomfort when they didn't act like the way they should. You all know what I mean? Maybe you're still not acting like you should either, all right? And uh, you can imagine our Heavenly Father when He looks down at His children and He just shakes His head at us. Wonder why are they acting that way? And we, through this series, I'm hoping that it has arrested our attention to realize that we need to be acting like God. There's enough ridicule of the churches today, and much of it is justifiable. Because we are not acting like God wants us to act. The church is not reflecting who God is. Just like Israel. Israel was called to be God's children, God's people. And how many times did they not act like God's people? In fact, finally God says, you know what? You're going to lose your land of promise. And I'm going to punish you. We see in the New Testament that same principle brought out in Hebrews chapter 12. It says if you're his children, that you need to understand that when we don't act like his children, he has ways of disciplining us. The word there used in Hebrews chapter 12 is the word chastisement. Uh, Sometimes God chastises us in the woodshed. How many of you have ever been in the woodshed with God? I have been. And uh, sometimes we don't recognize when we're in the woodshed of, of his chastisement. Or sometimes we're in the, just the difficulties of life and sometimes sorting that out. And I hope that we might understand some of that even today as we talk about 
the things that God allows in our lives and how He wants us to respond to some of the troubles that we go through, some of the difficulties that are along the paths that we find ourselves. How do we respond to those times when our husband acts the way he does? Or should I say, sometimes our wives act the way they do. Or situations in our lives don't follow the plans which we had for the day. You ever find out that sometimes your plans are not God's plans? There are things that come in our paths. And so this morning, I hope that we can grasp hold in in a way that will help us to understand that through the trials and troubles of our lives, not necessarily the woodshed. Catch what I'm saying? Not necessarily the woodshed. But through the things that God allows in our lives to better us and to build us, how He wants us to glorify Him in our responses. And if we folks don't understand this, then we're going to fail miserably. And I dare say most of us fail miserably when it comes to the trials and struggles of our lives. We always like a bed of roses, but God has not promised us a bed of roses. In fact, He says, take up your cross and follow me. May God help us. Father, I pray that as we get into this message and we look at these things, that you will help us in this journey. Lord, we've tried to, to comprehend now the, the purpose of our lives as born-again believers, as being born into your family, now to reflect who you are in the conduct of our lives. Help us, Lord, to, to continue to grasp how important this is and then to understand how we deflect from this or we, we don't reflect. We, we take away from who you are by our conduct and so I pray that you'll help us to grasp these truths. And Lord, may your word be powerful. And your spirit work in our hearts this day. Lord, it ought to be breaking our hearts when we understand how much you loved us and what you've done for us. We don't reflect who you are and the price that's been paid to purchase us out of the slave market of sin and set our feet on a road that's leading to glory. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Satan is the first one that we've been looking at. And, and, and again, as I got into last Sunday, and I really felt like God laid it on my heart that we focus on this. In fact, we focused on so long, that's really the only thing we got to focus on last week, is stop acting like the devil. He used to be our father, by the way. Did you all know that? He is the father of lies. He's the father of this world. He's the prince and power of the air. He's the one that's controlling the philosophy of this air. And I tell you what, we've got to recognize his philosophy versus God's philosophy. And we're studying this on Wednesday night, talking about spiritual warfare, identifying his tactics. And bottom line is, for 6,000 years or so, his tactics have been the same which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is what caught him up in the heavenlies and brought him down to destruction. And so he brought that to mankind and he even tried to tempt Jesus Christ with that same tactic. These three sins are the root sins of all sins. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we're talking about that on Wednesday night. I encourage you to be a part of that 
on Wednesday night. But however, this Wednesday night, we're not going to be meeting here. And I need to make sure you understand that, all right? Next Wednesday night, we're going to be meeting at Cascade Gym. And we're going to be a part of the awards ceremony for Kids for Truth, all right? So that's going to be down in the back gym this Wednesday night. So y'all, how many, how many heard what I just said? Okay, how many are going to show up here at Westside Baptist Church at, at this property? Yeah, half of you might, all right? There's a lot of water goes under the bridge between now and Wednesday night. So please try to remember that. We'll be there to honor our children. And we really want to honor our children. And so be a part of that this Wednesday night. I hope our children's pastor will be back with us. They had a little event this past week, and it's disrupted their their lives probably for the next 18 years. So uh, they will be discovering that in great capacity. Stop acting like the devil. And his sins, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And bottom line, how art thou fallen, O uh, Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which disawaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, and this is his struggle, this is our struggle, when we identify the direction of our lives based on our own understanding and our own direction, we get all messed up. That's what's creating so much worry, frustration, anxiety, is because we're trying to make the course of our lives based on what we think it should be, rather than surrendering to the one who's purchased us and owns everything about us. Satan says, I'll do this, and I'll exalt myself, and I'll sit upon the mount of the congregations and the sides, and I'll ascend up to the heights of the clouds, I'll be like the Most High, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And God knows how to bring a man down, doesn't he? He knew how to bring Satan down. And I'm going to tell you something, this pride and this going in our own direction, make sure you and I understand this is acting like the devil. We all got that? When I make my choices and I decide what I'm going to do, and by the way, this is so much a part of the average person's life. They say, what should I do today? What do you want to do today? In fact, sometimes we even train our children in that response. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I know the Bible does say, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And there's a truth there that's fascinating in that if you will surrender and allow God to have control of your life, guess what? Your wants and your desires become his. And pretty soon those wants and those desires are pulling you and you are fellowshipping and you're walking down the same road because you've delighted yourself in the Lord. Last Sunday, I believe it was, you know, we've been praying about our building project and, you know, we're in this transition and uh, we truly have a lot of, uh, of love towards the Smith family and what they've done for two years. And this transition has caused my heart to flip-flop up and down and all over the place and, and, uh, and all kinds of things. And, and as I was sitting down praying about this uh, last Sunday... He says, Lord, what, what, what do you want us to do? And this is what he said. He says, well, what are your desires? And that was interesting. And he brought up the verse. I think it's Psalm 37. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. 
And so I started saying, well, I need maybe to make a list of what these desires of my heart are. Because if I'm in tune with the Lord, then they should be in tune with what God would have. And so I wrote down a little list. And by the way, Brother George, I have to keep my list too because I'll forget that Wednesday night and I'll show up here Wednesday night and people will be at the gym saying, where's the preacher? Yeah. This is what I wrote down. Number one desire. Now, you all ought to know what the number one desire is. To glorify the Lord. To bring Him glory. Right or wrong? That's what we've been talking about this whole 10, 12 weeks now. To bring glory to the Lord. I'd sure love to be debt free. We might have to take up a few extra offerings down the road here, right? God knows what that is. And And when I wrote that down, I didn't know what that would look like, Richard. Because we have no idea what God's going to do. You know, and so I have to be careful that I read into that debt-free in my own understanding. Does that, does that make sense? Sometimes we limit God and what He's going to do in our pursuits of our own desires, and sometimes we muck it up. Number three, not to kill the congregation. That's a good one, isn't it? I, I mean, I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, what's my... I don't want to kill the congregation. Because you can have a building but not have a church at the end of it. Now, what does that look like? I mean, these are pretty nebulous, though, aren't they, Gary? They're fairly nebulous. You know, what does it mean? Well, I'm not going to stand up here and start shooting people, all right? But what does that all mean? But to engage the congregation. To keep us engaged and our hearts where they ought to be. That's why Pastor Nathan says, have you driven by the property lately? You know, you ought to be out there praying. Praying. And don't take for granted what God is doing and allowing us to do. This week, there could have been such a tragedy out there. Such a tragedy. I knew nothing of it while it was taking place, but I saw our men trying to fix something. We'd been setting those trusses up there, and God had given such a great hand and putting up those trusses. And what we discovered at the end of the day, the beam had moved away. It had shifted to the left because of the pressure and the things like that on there. And even though they were secured there, that beam had pulled away. Now, instead of sitting on something like three inches of wood, Gary, you were up there, weren't you? We had ladders. We had people walking under these trusses. And instead of sitting on three inches, they were sitting on about an inch, weren't they? What, how far? Some of them had come free. Can you imagine had those trusses fallen on our men? Ladders going all over the place. What disaster that could have been. I'm going to tell you something, folks. We don't take for granted. We need to pray for that safety. We need to pray for those provisions. This is a big project. God, help us. So engage the congregation. If I can encourage you to keep on praying, to keep on. And let me just say this. These last four weeks, we have been on a marathon 
to get accomplished where we are. And it is so amazing what God has allowed this crowd to accomplish. I go over there and I am so amazed. I am so amazed. And then my last thing that I wrote down here is, well, it's not the last thing, but I, gotta, I have to keep some things private on this list, all right? Is that all right? Can I keep something private? I, I, I oftentimes say more than I should have ever said, you know? Just like if my wife was in here and she heard what I just said, she probably would not allow me out on the property because I have a tendency to hurt myself, you know, and, and not to think, you know? You know how that can be as you get a little bit older. But the, the, the other thing was to help those in need. Help those in need. And I wrote that down. It was our desire to help those in need. And that can be through this building project or when we're done with this building project. I don't know. But understand that we want to follow what God wants us to do rather than following our own understanding. And Satan had his agenda. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. What an insult to a holy God who wants to guide us. In fact, he's given to us the Holy Spirit to show us truth and to guide us in that, that truth. May God help us. Verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. To the sides of the pit. Alright. So this is this first area of defeat. And that's acting like the devil. We covered that very well last week. So Satan and how he worked there in the garden of Eden. And he corrupted mankind with the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. And then he says, Yea, hath God said. Now that's the audacity of the devil. God says, I have a direction. I'm telling you what to do. And you're not going to listen. That's disobedience. That's rebellion. And that, my friend, is sin, isn't it? Sin destroys the glory of God. The Bible says, For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of you in this room have sinned? Can I see your hands? Good. The, the word of God is true, isn't it? All have sinned. Now, some people don't like to acknowledge it. Some people are thinking, hey, I'm going to get into heaven. I'm a pretty good person. And you might be a pretty good person. What about your sin? You stood before God with your sin. He will not let you into heaven. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. So that you could have everlasting life. And to wash away all of your sin. I'm glad for that. Amen. The penalty of my sin has been removed by what Jesus did on the cross. That's a gift. He's given to me eternal life. He's given to me this life that will never perish. All of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior, you had to come to the place that you were a sinner. You're not good enough to get into heaven. You know, people don't like to hear that, do they? They don't want to hear, I'm not good enough. What do you mean to tell me I'm not good enough? Well, maybe that doesn't mean much coming from me, but coming from God, it means an awful lot. You're not good enough. And Bible says even our good works are filthy rags in His sight because He is a holy 
God and an insult to him to think that you could get there any other way. In fact, in our Sunday school this morning, Galatians chapter 2, it talks about if there was any other way to get to heaven, then Jesus Christ's death on the cross would have been in vain. The last verse, Galatians chapter 2. The only way you and I are going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad, Wayne? I'm glad it made it so simple. It's not like choose A, B, or C. It's choose one. And all the other ways are wrong. All the other ways are wrong. You say, that's narrow. I liked the song that uh, uh, Karen and her little granddaughter sang. Wasn't that precious? In that part of the song, it's the narrow and straight way. And that's biblical. Only one way. Do you know him? Your sins, you'll come short of the glory of God. Now, understand that sin is everything that God is not. You know, even Jesus Christ, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He became the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Sin is missing the mark. Missing the mark. God has a target, and he wants us to shoot straight in our lives. Not only is the plan of salvation straight, but he wants us to walk straight. And so if I start veering off the course that God has for me in my life, then I am walking and I'm doing things that are not pleasing to the Lord. He has a way. If I'm his child, he's going to punish me. But here, listen to me. You know what happens to the average Christian? They begin to make excuses about the way they're walking. Hear me. I'm going to tell you this. There are, there's, there's a way that God wants us to walk and if we start making excuses and varying off, it's going to carry us further than we ever intended it to go. And I find that the average Christian begins to excuse what they're doing in their lives rather than saying, this is thus say of the Lord, I need to be doing it. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? And Jesus came to them, or God came to them and says, Hey, what did you do? And he and he and what what was what was the first word? Well, they said, "Well, we were we are afraid." Well, what made you afraid? And you have sinned, and, and God brings that to them. And remember what Adam's response was? Well, it's the woman you gave me. And people make excuses. Did it hold water with God? Well, he said, "Well, it's the serpent." The serpent looked around, there was nobody left. <laughs> yeah, it was it was disobedience. Listen, can I just encourage you? We begin, and I I I I'm guilty just as you are. That I can start veering off what God wants in my life, and it's so subtle, it's kind of like the story of the, the frog that was put in the cold water on the uh, the burner. You've heard that story before, and that frog was in that cold water. Uh, water and pretty soon they turned up the heat a little bit and that frog didn't recognize the heat coming up and finally the frog was boiled to death. And sin has that tendency just to come in where it's not really that uncomfortable but just a little bit off course, a little bit further off course. May God help us to see what He wants. God wants us to keep on the right course. All right, we got this sin affects our bringing glory to the Lord. And then selfishness. Selfishness. Now, you're in Philippians chapter 2, and boy, our time has gotten away from us this morning, but this, this idea of selfishness, living for myself, 
uh, trying to do these things, uh, making decisions and everything. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how there was even uh, division in the church and that they weren't in this one cord or this one mind. And, and uh, people began to, to struggle with the personalities. And, and there were two women in the church that uh, had uh, some, some struggles. And, and, uh, and, and, and Paul is writing to this wonderful church in Philippi. And he's telling them in verse 3, and you'll notice these words up here. And I want to kind of go through this as carefully as I can so you'll see what, what's going on here. God does not want us to live for ourselves. He wants us to live for Him. And we understand that. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now, these are interesting words. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. The word strife, uh, Aristotle used this word first back in 500 years before Christ. And it has the idea, now I'd be careful what I say here and how I say it, to be a politician. Okay, I want to be careful how I say there. Because to be a politician is not an elected office. But the idea is that you put yourself up and put other people down. That can be the idea here. And then this word for vainglory is actually the word for self-esteem. Isn't that interesting? Our world is so caught up in this concept of self-esteem. And the word has its roots or its base in emptiness. In other words, there is nothing substantial. It's just a bunch of fluff to make people feel good about themselves. And let me tell you something. That is a ploy of Satan himself. Because if you can feel good about yourself, you don't recognize yourself as a sinner. Then how are you going to come to be saved? And this is what's happened. We're, we're trying to take away everything that is called sin. And we're relabeling it today so people can feel better about their addictions. About their lifestyles. You see what I'm saying? This word self-esteem. Or this word, vain glory, emptiness. And, and this, is, this is such a, a concept that has grabbed our society. And by the way, this is a concept that had grabbed the Roman culture. But notice what he says here. But in lowliness of mind, that's the idea of humility. Uh, lowliness of mind or humility is not thinking low of yourself. I'm just worthless, a piece of trash. That's not what humility is. Or setting yourself up and saying, boy, I'm something special. It's actually the idea of thinking less about yourself. Does that make sense? Less about you. In other words, instead of focusing on you, how you can politic yourself up the ladder of success or try to make yourself something that's just a bunch of hot air. He's saying that's not even in the equation. The equation ought to be you think of other people. Isn't that great? Think of other people. 
Notice as he goes on here, he says, let each esteem others better than themselves. And the word esteemed here is a word for mind. There's six different Greek words for the word mind. And this is the idea of consider or think on other people. Uh, about a year or so ago, <clears throat> I started praying a prayer on a daily basis. And that is, Lord, as I live my life today, help me to be aware of what's going on in other people's lives. You know, I have a big problem with that. I am a destination person. And I like to get to where I'd like to go and not necessarily let anybody that's in my path get in my way. <laughs> I want to get there. And I started praying this to help me to be aware of what's going on in other people's lives. And I'll tell you what. When I began to pray that, I was thinking, well, you know, it might be that I'll stop on the side of the road and help someone with a flat tire. Maybe somebody else maybe needs some financial help and things like that. What I have discovered is that God helps me to see some things of where people are in their lives spiritually. And sometimes that is discouraging. Sometimes it's seeing where I am spiritually. And that's really discouraging. Where are you? What are we doing in our lives as we go on our journey? He says, let each esteem, let it ever consider others uh, uh, better than themselves. And then in verse 4, now, now I want you to catch this whole passage. We need to finish this. Look, the word scopeo, not every man on his own things. Do you think this is a suggestion or a command? You know, if I'm going to be God-like, Jesus Christ came to this world not to be served, but to be a servant. Is that right? If God sets that example, then I need to be a servant. Look not every man on his own things. We could preach a whole message on this. But every man also on the things of others. Let me tell you, the doctrine of self-esteem today is causing such misery and suicidal tendencies in people because there's no substance. And the more you focus on your life and your situation, the more discouraged you can be. But let me give you a good Vicodin, not a Vicodin, that's a painkiller, um, Valium pill this morning. How's that? Is that, a, is that a better way? A Valium pill. The greatest therapy that we can have for our own minds, and he uses this word mind, is instead of internalizing all the things that is going on, you get out there and you get busy making quilts, cooking for people, praying for others. You see, when we get captured in our own thinking, it drives us and it can drive us into insanity. Notice here, and, again, and he's going to lead into the example of Jesus Christ. He says, look every man, not on his own things, but on others. Then he says, let this mind be in you. Suggestion or command? It is a command. It is interesting. And I want to bring this out. It is in the passive sense. And to you that have been a part of our church for some time, you will hear me say active, passive, or middle. And what this is, is the tense of the Greek word that's used there. 
And the idea of the passive is something else is controlling you. Now understand that our mind is still a part of our flesh. And what he is saying is that we need to be controlled by the fact that we ought to be helping other people. Rather than our minds being controlled by our own desires. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he says, and this is interesting, because now we're coming into Paul bringing down the brass tacks of all this. Jesus Christ is our example. And he goes and he shows that great example. And here, there's nobody that should be exalted any greater than Jesus Christ. But he came to this world to take on humanity and died on a cross. And he's using that as an example. That is the picture for us to wrap our heads around who we should be. Right or wrong? How can we be putting ourselves up? How can we be boasting in who we are or what we've accomplished? And there are two aspects on this, and we'll take the next aspect next week. But who being uh, in the form, the word being there is an interesting word. It is in the present, which is actually when even while he was here, he was in the form of God. In the form of God, there are three Greek words for this word form. And what this word here is the intrinsic value of who God is was in Jesus Christ when he came to this world. It's not talking about some clay mold or some some image. He's talking about this intrinsic value. Who God is is who Jesus is because Jesus is God. And he brings that out here in this passage. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be what? Equal with God. Now I'm going to tell you something. Every religion and every cult that does not claim the Trinity or the truth that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal is a cult. It is a false lie. He says he didn't think it's something to be grasped, to be equal. And that word equal is quantity and quality. Equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form. Now, that same word, Greek word there, the intrinsic value of a servant. It wasn't something that he put on dirty clothes, though he had the clothes of not gaiety or riches. But he put on, the idea here is intrinsic value, who he was. He came to this world to serve. And to die on the cross. And that great servant that he was. He was made in the likeness of man. So he takes now the clay mold of a man. Changes the word here. And being found in fashion. This is the other word for form here. This word we get a word schematic from. He takes on this fashion as a man. He takes on humanity. And he humbled himself. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Amen and amen. Do you see this context? How he's telling us how we ought to conduct ourselves and how selfishness destroys the glory of God. And here our great example, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, who created all things, came to this world, became a servant. How much less should we not be that way? Be a servant. Serve others. 
And notice what he says here. Who thought it not robbery, but made himself and came to this death on the cross. I'd like to finish reading this passage if I could. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, you need to understand this. And here's an example that is being brought to humanity, but it's taken place in glory. God hath highly exalted him. Where do we want to be exalted? Do we want to be praised by men? In fact, the Bible says if we seek the, uh, to be praised by men, we will not receive the praise of God. He has highly exalted himself and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Amen and amen. You ever do something? I don't know, Karen, you've sang an awful lot here in church. Sometimes when we walk out of church and no one says anything about your song. Sometimes you can go home and think, people didn't like it because they didn't say something about it. Do you think the preacher ever has words, thinks, thoughts like that? Is he preaches a message and, and people don't say anything about it? And can I say that oftentimes we seek the approval of man rather than the approval of God? And it is so liberating when we sing or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God, not our own glory. That's why oftentimes we don't applaud around here, yet we applaud it for honor and respect to Vern. I'm sure Vern would stand up and be the first one to say, may God be glorified with what's been accomplished. And that's where we need to be, because selfish, taking on the credit, well, look at me, I, I really sang well. Or didn't you like that message? By the way, the message that I bring, the power of the message is not in the preacher. It's in the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you something that is so liberating to anyone who handles the Word of God to realize I don't have to perform up here. It is God's Word and God's Spirit that's going to do the work out there. And I'm going to trust in Him. And sometimes there won't be the accolades. In fact, oftentimes there's not the accolades, the approval. I tell you what, many of preachers have sold their soul because they want the praise of men and they want the, uh, the crowd to be in their church rather than bringing glory to the Lord. May God help us never to go that way. Father, I pray that as we finish this message now and you've brought us to this, this truth of selfishness. And, and I don't know why we're only getting so far in this message, Lord, but, but maybe there's just something we've got to reiterate and keep getting in our hearts that Lord, we don't act like the devil by trying to conduct our lives in the ways we want to go. Even people today are making such an insult to God, saying, I'm going to go to heaven by my way. It won't get there. And we're not going to make progress down this life unless we surrender. So right now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask you, please, I beg of you, surrender to whatever God wants in your life. If you've not done that, then do it. And then don't make excuses saying, I, I'm going to dabble in this or I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell you something. Until God has your all, He doesn't have anything. 
Give them your all. Have thine own way, we're going to sing as their invitation song. Why don't you make the right decision right now? God, you speak to my heart. You show me what you want. I want to be obedient. Maybe right now God's speaking to your heart about your need to get saved. I need to be born again. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to miss heaven because I'm trusting in my own self. I want to go to heaven because Jesus Christ died on the cross. And I'm going to trust in what he did. It's the only way. Right now you can surrender to that. You can surrender to whatever else that God is speaking to you about. You know, there are things that God lays on our hearts and we wrestle with it. And then we begin to make excuses about it. And I'll tell you what, every time I make excuses, I realize it takes me in the wrong direction. How come it is that we go kicking and screaming sometimes and what God wants us to do when He has the very best? And I dare say the mental health that we can have because we're letting him be God. We're letting him be the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Grant us, Father, now the direction you have us to go. Lord, have thine own way. Let's stand together. Let's sing it. We'll sing that first verse. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Many times in the clay, only and make me after thy will while I am waiting. You know, it starts off there to yield, be still, and know that I am God. And if God has spoken to your heart, and you know how he speaks, it might not even be something I touched on today. And yet he's saying, you know, I'm going to nudge you in the right direction. Will you go? We want to say yes. Amen to that. Have you ever regretted saying yes to God? I have regretted saying no to him. We're all guilty of that. May God help us to be definitive in the directions of our lives. Amen. Woohoo! Glory! Man, I thought we were going to get further down the pike today, but we all need this. I need this. I need this. Let me tell you, I'm preaching to myself. I told someone else the other day, I get more out of the messages than you will ever get because God just works on my heart and, and continues to work on my heart. Maybe that's what's going on. I have to discover more and more. Well, guess who's joining the church? Gary and Joyce Malone right over here. Amen. Praise the Lord. You shake hands with them, give them the right hand, the fellowship, and we're thankful for that. And uh, if you're interested in joining the church, you make sure you come and let us know that. There's an orientation meeting and a uh, uh, $10,000 membership joining fee. Uh, Not quite that, of course not. Vacation Bible School workers are meeting uh, on Tuesday. Remember tonight is the offering for the Smiths, and and so uh, everything tonight. And then Tuesday, the meeting, and then... Uh, the awards night, Wednesday, we're all at uh, Cascade Middle School, so remember that. And then the potluck is next Sunday, so there'll be no evening service, so you can bring a side dish and a main dish. And our interns, you can look at them there in that picture. You know, praise the Lord, the ladies on the tea yesterday. I understand you had a wonderful tea yesterday, isn't that right? Over 100 ladies that came. And our interns, their very first act as intern was to become court gestures. Don't you like that? 
we have to work on them as well as ourselves. But uh, you want to feed them so they don't become too humble, though, this summer by eating their own cooking. And there's sign-up sheets there on the back. May God bless you as we go our ways. Great Sunday schools, you are dismissed. Thank you.